If you brought your Bibles, you can keep your Bible open to Matthew 11. We're going to come back there again. Matthew 11. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, A reminder, Lord, uh, that you are with us, that you are all around us, that you invite us uh, to walk with you, to rest in you. And God, as we continue to reflect on uh, your word this morning, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, some of you know that when I was a kid, I was not a very good athlete. Um, I tried a lot, a lot of sports. I tried football, basketball, baseball. Um, I grew up in Minnesota, so I tried hockey and skiing and several winter sports, but I wasn't very good at those either. So it really just became process of elimination. And uh, finally, I got down the list, uh, and what was left was running. And uh, I thought, how hard can that be? And so as a sixth grader, I tried out for the cross-country team, uh, and I made it. I actually made the cross-country team. Everybody made the cross-country team, right? Yeah, and I made the cross-country team, and I just, you know, I kind of had the attitude, well, how hard can this be? And, and I never, uh, I'll never forget my first cross-country meet. Uh, it was in Rochester, Minnesota. And uh, I I was there at the starting line, and I hadn't really trained a whole lot. I hadn't really run a whole lot. And I just thought, again, how difficult can this be? And so when the gun went off uh, and there were hundreds of middle schoolers, we raced across this big, open, grassy field. Uh, The gun went off, and I just sprinted uh, out in front. And pretty soon, there were, I don't know, 10, 12 of us out front. And, you know, we were ahead of just hundreds and hundreds of people behind us. And I thought to myself, finally, a sport that I can really do. And so um, about half a mile into it, I'm feeling pretty winded. I'm feeling pretty tired. And I'm having that conversation with myself. I'm still in the lead pack, and we're just flying along. And I thought, you know, it is my very first cross-country meet. I probably don't need to win the very first one that I run. So I'll just slow down a little bit. And so I watched that lead pack go off ahead of me. Now, by mile one, I was, uh, I was out of gas, right? I was completely exhausted, and I kept slowing down and slowing down, and more and more people just kept passing me and passing me. At that point in time, the goal was just to finish and not finish last, right? And I remember those last two miles were awful. Uh, It was just terrible. I had nothing left. And what was even more demoralizing is just watching wave after wave after wave of all these runners passing me by. And I don't think I was the last one across the finish line, but I don't remember seeing anyone come in after me. I was probably (laughs) laying on the ground uh, in the dirt somewhere. I don't know. Have you ever noticed that uh, so many people start really strong in life, but somewhere along the way they run into an obstacle, they run into some challenges, and they don't finish well? In his book called Finish, author and speaker John Acuff uh, cites several different studies that people who uh, set New Year's resolutions, 92% of those resolutions fail. Because we're really good at having all sorts of ideas about what to do, where we want to go, and and this, that, and the other. But we are lousy at finishing what we start. 
in many, many things. What Achaf reminds us is the, 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 the main reason why so many people do not finish well is because they don't have a clear strategy for execution in finishing strong. This morning, I want to begin by just saying God wants you to finish your life strong. He wants you to go through life strong. We've all started at a certain place, right? And God wants you to keep going and keep going strong. And God wants you to finish strong. And I'll tell you, as your pastor, I want you to finish strong as well. I see so many people as they go through life, they're kind of like that cross-country race. They run out of gas, they fizzle. And more often than not, it's not their skills, their competencies that undermine them. It's their character. It's who they are and how they've neglected those really important pieces in our life to be who we are as human beings. Caring, compassion, compassionate, empathetic, loving, Those are the things that are most people's downfall. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to finish strong. Because we're all pretty good at starting strong. But it really comes down to how we are going to finish and go through life. And as Jeff said, we're during the season of Lent. We're going through this devotional called the Red Letter Challenge. And it's been said that a thousand-mile journey begins with just one step forward, right? And we've decided that we're going to take 40 steps together as a congregation, as a community, and just do this journey together one step at a time. Because a thousand-mile journey feels pretty overwhelming, and we maybe won't even have a strategy, but as we go through this together... We're going to learn and discover about what it means to go through life strong and to actually finish strong. And so if you're a guest this morning, you might be asking yourselves, what is the red letter challenge? Well, the red letters actually come from the words of Jesus. Can we put that slide up there? Some of you maybe have a Bible with red letters in it. And once upon a time, some people thought it was a good idea, instead of all the black type in the Bibles, to the words that Jesus actually spoke. So these are not commentary. These are not kind of setting the stage. These are not any other words. These are the words that came from the lips of Jesus. Those are the red letters. And it's not just about our, you know, the, the red letter devotional. We're not just going to learn about these things that Jesus spoke, but it's the red letter challenge that we're going to actually strive to live into them, to actually do what Jesus calls and invites us to do. Imagine that. And so it's the red letter challenge. And so yesterday was day five. And so uh, here's uh, the, the, the accountability uh, point of the sermon. How many of you are caught up, have done the first five readings in the red letter challenge. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah, my wife and I, every day, we've talked a little bit about it. And the rest of you, if you're not caught up, shame on you. I'm just kidding. These are very short readings. You can catch up. We've still got a couple books in the back. Or do we? Yeah, two, two, book, two books still back there. Maybe one. I don't know. Maybe now you got to share with somebody else. But we're going through uh, this 40-day devotional and having conversations uh, uh, with God about what does it mean uh, to really uh, finish well, to keep going, to keep going. And I just wanted to remind all of us that uh, uh, Zach, Pastor Zach, 
uh, lays out five different disciplines, and I put them up on the screen. There they are. No, back up. (laughs) Being, forgiving, serving, giving, and going. Being, giving, serving, and going, right? And today, we're going to spend some time looking at being. We start with being because being is the most logical, important place for us to begin. Being, the idea behind being is that that, that, that's where it all begins. It's the linchpin for all the others. Our being uh, influences everything in what, how we do, how we go. A seminary professor of mine once said, our ministry flows out of our being. He said, you need to pay attention before you learn Greek, before you learn about scripture, uh, before you learn about church history, before you learn about what leadership in the church. You need to first learn about being with Jesus and spending time with Jesus. It's about your character, because if we can't be with Jesus, if we can't rest with Jesus, we are going to struggle with everything else. Somebody else once said to me, you know, you can't give what you don't have. Let me say that again. You can't give what you don't have. And I like that, and it makes a whole lot of sense, right? So you cannot give to someone joy and happiness if you're a Debbie Downer, right? If you're a person that's down all the time, you can't give joy and happiness. You can't give hope to someone else. If you are an Eeyore, you wander around, oh, everything's bad, right? You can't give love to someone else if you're not a loving person. You can't give what you don't have. And you can't give Jesus to someone else and and his love and his grace and all that he offers every single person in this world if you have not first experienced and received that yourself. And being is one of these really difficult things because we spend most of our lives focusing on our skills, our competencies, those things that help us in our jobs, in our professions, those things that help us to navigate through life. But oftentimes, it's the skills that are most important that really help us to finish strong. It's our character. It's who we are and how we are connected to one another and how we are connected to God. It's being is about relationship and it's about resting. Some of you know that uh, our younger son, Q, is a college student in uh, a school just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. If you've ever been out to the East Coast, you know that the East Coast is a little bit different than the Midwest, right? And one of the things they've uh, got out in Massachusetts, if you travel along, uh, especially along the rivers, uh, you'll see that rowing is a very popular sport. And so I was looking into rowing a little bit, and rowing is a whole lot, uh, there you go, it's a whole lot like his college actually has a rowing team. Uh, He's not rowing, for for goodness sake. He's barely studying, let's be honest, right? (laughs) But uh, so anyways, what these guys do, it's it's the same concept as as, as cross country, right? And so you're looking for the finish line, You you travel from point A to point B, Um, And you get to the finish line. I mean, rowing is kind of a simple concept. Um, But the interesting, uh, unique factor about rowing is look where everybody is looking. They're all looking back. Everybody's back is facing the finish line. 
The only person that is actually looking forward in the water is that person whose back is to us. Their title is called the coxswain. It's a very specific title, a very specific role. And so while everybody is just rowing, their, their eyes are on the coxswain and listening to what they're supposed to be doing. Nobody's looking at the goal. Nobody's looking at the finish line. They're just rowing and looking intently at the coxswain who is guiding the boat uh, down the river. Now, if a, a, a row team... Uh, uh, wins, the coxswain gets all the credit. But if a, uh, a rowing team loses, the coxswain also takes all the blame, right? And these guys practice and they practice and they practice on the rivers and they go and go and go. And people uh, who are in rowing, what they say is the key to rowing is that relationship between the rowers and the coxswain. I think it's a great image for us as we're thinking about our journey in life. We're to keep our eyes on Jesus and he'll get us to where we need to go. We don't need to look at the finish line. We don't need to keep looking up and around the corner. We just need to keep looking at Jesus. And when we look at Jesus, he'll guide us where we need to be and where we need to go, and how we can stay strong. Now, I know there are some people who are really good at being and resting in the presence of Jesus. There's probably even some people here today. I just don't happen to be one of those people. I'm more of a doer. See, I would much rather uh, mow the lawn so I can see the progress in what's happened. I'd much rather paint a room so I can say, ah, oh, that room looks so good. I would much uh, rather plant a garden because, you know, the flowers and the vegetables and, and I can see the progress and I can see how things are moving along and getting better and better. Do we have any other doers here or is it just me? Yeah, I love to do. Um, and it's really difficult for me to be, to just rest. Because resting and being with Jesus focuses on all those intangibles. It's about thinking. You don't see me thinking, right? It's about feeling. You don't see me feel. It's about all that work that happens inside of us. That's what it means to rest and be with Jesus. It's just being present with him. And this is difficult for many of us. And we have to practice this and we have to be intentional about this. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, I was talking to a woman, uh, not from our congregation, and she was sharing with me a little bit about her family, her, her husband and her kids, and, and she was going on and on and on and on how busy uh, their family is. And they've got, you know, three little kids, I get it, you know, we raise kids, and uh, it's, it's a busy time when you're raising kids, right? And as she was talking to me, we're talking on the phone, uh, she was practically hyperventilating um, by all the activities of going here, going there, going, you know, all the different places. And I'm just thinking to myself, lady, nobody has a gun to your head. You are in control of your own calendar, right? And the truth is, being with Jesus is less about, you know, having enough time and it's more about priorities and how we make time. Because oftentimes people say, you know, I just don't have time to be with Jesus. I just don't have time uh, to do the things that a Jesus follower should do. I, I'm just too busy. I just got too much going on. 
And do you know that the average American spends four hours a day watching television? Two hours a day uh, mindlessly just scrolling through stuff on their phone? I mean, the list goes on and on. We've got plenty of time to be with Jesus. It really is about priorities in our lives. We're only as busy as we want to be busy. And I think uh, we're, we're so worn out is because we don't spend time. We don't prioritize being with Jesus. So let's go back to Matthew. In the midst of hustle and hurry, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now in ancient times in Palestine, go ahead, Winton, put up the next one there. Oh, be still and know that I'm God. How well do we do that? Next slide. There we go. Back up. There we go. Excellent. So in ancient uh, Middle Eastern uh, Palestinian culture, this is a, a, a yoke uh, that are on these cattle. And we maybe have uh, seen yokes before. But how they would make a yoke is uh, they, would, uh, eat, they were made uh, specifically for each cow. And they would come in and they would do the measurements of the cow and then they would look at the wood and then they would hollow out the wood. And, and it was quite a process and they would go back and forth uh, to, the, to the carpenter, the wood shop, uh, to have these uh, yokes made. And as they had these uh, yokes made, they would have to uh, customize each individual one. Now, of course, we know that uh, Jesus was some kind uh, of uh, uh, carpenter, stonemason. We don't know exactly for sure. But the idea is, when Jesus talks about a yoke, it's very likely that he made these things. He's, this isn't just theoretical for Jesus. He understands what it means to chisel out the wood and to, to, to make these, customize these for each cattle uh, for, for them to, to, to be installed. And, and you know, some have even speculated that Jesus was a really good yoke maker and that people from all over Galilee would come to Jesus and say, hey, would you make a yoke for me? Now, of course, we don't know if that's true or not. But I think it's kind of a neat thing to think about that this is stuff that Jesus really understood with his hands. He knew how to work with wood. He knew how to work with these things. And so he says, um, take my yoke upon you. He gets it. He understands what it means to be connected. And as you look at this image a yoke is meant for two cattle, right? Or two oxen. And too often in life, we either make a yoke for one or we go without altogether, right? What I love about Jesus talking about an oxen yoke is because I have this image of me in one and him, and him in the other. And let's be honest, he's doing most of the work, right? Because that's just who he is. 
He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk alongside you. I'm not going to walk ahead of you. I'm not going to be behind you. I'm going to be right next to you. And we're going to get through this together. I love this image of being, of resting, of being in relationship with Jesus. It's this idea of yoking together. I recently ran across an article uh, by a neuroscientist, uh, University of uh, uh, Northwestern University up in Chicago, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Moran Cerf. And uh, he, he's a neuroscientist, right? And so he studies uh, the brain and he studies the impact of the brain uh, specifically in the world of business. And he's accumulated a, a bunch of research in terms of how people make decisions and what's going on in the brain. And so he hooks up electrodes uh, to people's heads as they're making decisions and is looking on some really fancy computer technology. And what he's discovered is that when people are in a room together, uh, their brain waves uh, actually uh, start to look alike. So here's what he writes. The more we study engagement, we see time and time again that just being next to certain people actually aligns your brain with them. Now, every parent here is going, I knew it, right? My teenager has been hanging out with that other kid, and they start thinking alike, and their behaviors start uh, behaving the same way, right? And so all the parents in the room are like, yeah, we don't need a neuroscientist to tell us this, right? We just, we've seen this raising especially our junior high kids, right? And uh, so just, just think about this. Uh, and the, the article continues. The people you hang out with actually have an engagement with your reality beyond what you can explain. And the one effects is that you become alike. So there's actually something going on in our brains when we spend time with people. And so he concludes the article like this. If you want to maximize happiness and minimize stress, you should spend more time with people who embody the traits we prefer. And this is what sociologists have been telling us over and over and over again, right? Is you are like those people that you hang out with. So if I, didn't, if I never met you before, if you were to walk into the room and I said to you, don't tell me a single thing about you, just tell me about your five closest friends. And if you describe to me your five closest friends, I could learn an extraordinary amount of information about you, right? Because if you told me that your friends are negative, guess what? I'll bet you you've got a, a streak of negativity in your life. If your friends are achievers, I'll bet you've got some, uh, an achievement drive in you. If your friends are healthy eaters, I'll bet you you are paying attention to eating healthy. If your friends eat junk food, guess what? You eat junk food. I mean, there's lots of science to back this up. We are like those who we spend time with. Why am I sharing this with you? Because if you want to be like Jesus, you got to spend time with him. See, nobody just accidentally uh, is, act, starts behaving like Jesus. People start behaving, taking on the traits, the characteristics of Jesus, because they spend time with Jesus. They become more compassionate. They become more loving. They become more forgiving. They become more caring. 
And so this morning, back to the, 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 the text here, if you've got your Bibles, you may want to just write in the margin. I want to close out by giving you, um, I'll just call it resting in Jesus. Five ways that you can rest in Jesus. Five ways that you can be with Jesus. Five ways that you can just connect with Jesus. And I don't think I'm going to share anything with you this morning that you haven't heard before. There's just no rocket science to this. We just got to do it, right? It's the red letter challenge. We don't just talk about it, but we actually have to do it. So uh, how do we rest with Jesus? Number one, we come to worship. We gather together with other Jesus followers on a regular basis. Do you know that the average church-going American now worships once a month? That's the average for a churchgoer. I'm not talking about non-church people. The ch average churchgoer uh, now comes to church uh, once a month. I I'm just here to tell you that's not enough. You've got to be here regularly and make it a priority, make it a decision to come to worship. Because what happens when we gather together is that we worship Jesus. We be with Jesus. Can you say that? We be with Jesus? <laughs> We're in his presence. He's with us in this place. So worship. How, do we, how, do, how are we with Jesus? How do we rest in Jesus? We come to worship. Sometimes people will say to me, oh, I, I like coming to church because it, it fills up my tank, right? You ever heard that language? It fills up my tank. It gives me what I need for the week. Yeah, it's life-giving, Right? It's that place where you come and you get recharged by being around God's people, around God's word, singing God's music, and we certainly share in God's meal. So I just want to encourage you to be with Jesus by coming to worship number two. Very simple, along the same line, practice Sabbath. Practice Sabbath rest. We did a whole sermon series on this last summer, and it was really fun, really interesting to have conversations with you all. I think most of you didn't really believe me that this was really an important part, an important theme in Scripture. But remember, it goes all the way back uh, to Genesis when God created the world. Remember when God created those over those seven days, uh, there was evening and there was morning. When do our days start? What, about what time do our days start? Here, now. Yeah, it depends on when you're getting up. Some of you guys are like, get up really early, right? Five, you get up at five? No, the, the, the day does not begin at five, Karen. <laughs> For normal human beings, maybe six, right? But we kind of tend to think of, you know, that the, sun, the day begins when the sun comes up, right? Or, or thereabouts, or maybe we get up a little bit early. But this is not a Hebrew idea. The Hebrews believe that the day begins when the sun sets, and you see this in Genesis, there was evening and then there was day. And so what do you do at the evening time when the day begins according to a Hebrew person? You share a meal together. You sit around, you have some conversation, you read scripture, you pray together. And then my favorite part, after Netflix, you go to sleep, right? And so in a Hebrew mind... The first part of your day is resting. You literally go to sleep, and then you wake up, and then you go to work when the sun comes up, right? The first part of your day is family time and relationship and connection and rest. There was e Go read Genesis 1-1 again. 
This is how God created us, to rest. Or think about when Jesus rose from the grave. It was Sunday, right? Is that the last day of the week or the first day of the week? It's the first day of the week, right? We often think, oh, Sunday, I got all those projects I need to get done before Monday going back to work, right? Sunday is the first day of the week. Why did we gather here this morning? Because we believe in giving our first fruits to God, our time. But we we start our week together as a community thinking to ourselves, God, before I get busy and with all the crazy stuff at work, uh, at school, in life, in the busyness, I'm just going to rest. I'm going to first come and be with my people. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to rest. Then Sunday afternoon, I'm going to take a nap, right? I mean, that's how God designed this. Jesus rose on the first day of the week. You need Sabbath rest. Some of you need to go watch those sermons again, all five or six of them that we did. Uh, Number one is worship. Number two is practice Sabbath rest. Number three, read scripture. Read scripture. How do we we connect? Uh, How do we be with Jesus? We read his word. Listen to what he has to say. Now, uh, how many of you... um, uh, have read this morning already. I, I, I was up like you, Karen. I was up a little bit early this morning. So those of you who read uh, the Red Letter Challenge this morning, um, what book of the Bible did he uh, quote? Do you guys remember? Ezekiel, right? So he quoted from Ezekiel and um, uh, just eight verses. That was it. Eight verses is your Bible reading for today if you haven't read it yet. I think most of us can handle eight verses from the book of Ezekiel. And he doesn't even make you get out your Bible. He gives it to you. It's all right here. I mean, most of us can't find Ezekiel. I don't think I can find Ezekiel, but it's in there somewhere, right? But Zach gives us Ezekiel right there, eight verses. When we read Scripture, if you're new to reading Scripture, it's not about quantity. It truly is about quality. And Zach gives us these these nuggets of reading from these eight verses from the book of Ezekiel this morning. Read your Bibles. If you want to be like Jesus, you got to hear from his word. Number four, prayer. Have some conversations with God. And again, like reading scripture, it's not about how long you pray. It's about the quality of your prayers. Just spend some time with him. This is really important. Two years ago, we uh, spent all of Lent uh, looking through at the Lord's Prayer. And and for six weeks, we talked about, we called it a beginner's guide to prayer. And again, all these sermons are online, so you can go and look at them and and listen to them again. But it's it's just, how, how do we do this? How do we hear God's voice in our life? How do we have a conversation with God? How do we connect with God? And then last year, you might remember, we, we did, a, a, again, during Lent, a six-week sermon series on hearing the voice of God. How do we listen to God? What are the ways? And I understand this, this, this is not an easy thing to do, to pray, to be in conversation with God. It takes some practice, but we, I think sometimes we overcomplicate it or make it into something much, much bigger. But if you want to be in the presence of Jesus, you need to pray. And then the last one, number five, um, to, to, to be in the presence of Jesus, to rest in Jesus, is to get together with another group of Jesus followers. 
gather together in a circle with some other people who are following Jesus. Remember the neuroscience? We start behaving and thinking like those other people that were around. It's important that we're spending time with other Jesus followers. And this, of course, is one of the reasons why we're doing small groups during Lent. And, and we do this very intentionally, um, unlike my cross-country uh, race in sixth grade, where there's a lot of strategy behind this. We just meet six times. It's a way for each one of us to kind of just dip our toe in the water and say, ooh, what if I don't like those people, right? Or what if I have to say something? Or what if I don't know something? Or what if I look foolish? And, and so we just say, okay, six times, get together. If it doesn't work out, you guys never have to talk to each other again, right? Maybe other than a sharing the peace on Sunday morning worship. I don't know. But we've got, given you five different options, including Sunday morning, right after worship this morning. If, if you can stay for a little bit, there's going to be a group uh, that's going to be meeting right here. Shannon and Liam are going to be leading it, right? If you know Shannon and Liam, you know that's going to be a pretty good group, right? And they're just going to be together. And they're going to pray together and talk about, you know, what does it mean to be with Jesus? And there's several other options. You can sign up at the clipboard and say, praise God, some of our small groups are full already, but I know that there's some open spots. I just think this is so important. It's, it's interesting. So I um, just want to close with a final story. Um, one of the things we've been really thinking about as a leadership uh, team here at Faith is how we can be investing in growing our young people, right? We just really want to grow younger as a congregation. And we just love having kids in worship. We love having babies in worship. We love having all the little ones around, running around in worship. And so we're asking ourselves over and over and over, you know, what, what can we be doing? How can we be investing in young families, uh, in young adults? Because it's, it's just so wonderful to have these young people in our midst uh, for us oldies, right? Isn't it great? Yeah. And, and so I've been asking very intentionally uh, just other people who are part of other congregations, hey, what's your secret sauce? How do you, how do you just, you know, how, how does this work for you guys? How do you attract these young people? You know, how do you keep these young people? How do you engage these young people. So I've been having conversations with several young people. And uh, this past week, I had another one. And there's a ch particular church in town, and it's probably not a big church that you're thinking of, but they are tearing it up with young people, with young families, with college students. And so I've now sat down with a couple of their young people and said, What's the deal? How do you do it? Is, I mean, you guys have great preaching, great teaching. Is your music awesome? I mean, just, just tell me what it is. And, and I met with, I'll, I'll call him Jim. I met with Jim this week, and he said, you know what? It's fine. You know, worship is fine. Preaching is fine. Music is fine. He said, but you know what got me connected? When I was a college student, someone invited me to be a part of a small group. I said, I gotta tell you, it changed my life. I had never experienced anything like this before. He said, when I was in college, I was in the party scene. I was not following Jesus. Oh, I grew up in a church, but I took a break when I went off to college and I was full on the party scene. And he said, in the midst of all that, somebody invited me to be a part of a small group and he said, it absolutely changed me. He said, within six months, I developed relationships with those people in that small group at church. 
far deeper, far more profound than most of my friends that I grew up with and played sports. I mean, we knew stuff about each other. We did stuff. He said, but these people knew me and they know me. No way would I ever leave my church. They're my people. They're my family. Oh, there it is. It's about relationship and connection, inviting people in and keeping people connected and growing. And his faith has grown so much. And this is a, a church that's planting other churches around the, around the area. It's like, wow. Sounds like the Bible, right? I mean, it's, it's not complicated, right? Just no rock bands, no you know, crazy uh, gifted public speaker preacher. It's just people getting together in homes, studying God's word, praying together in a relationship with one another. And in their midst, there's Jesus. He's just, and they're just being with Jesus as they're with one another. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, that you've invited us uh, to, to, to come to you to rest, um, Lord, to just give up on our, our struggle of trying to do life alone. But God, you've invited us to be yoked with you, to be connected with you. And you promise, Lord, to help us journey through life, to continue to be strong and to finish strong. And so, God, now as, as we continue to worship you through the, the giving of our tithes and offerings and through receiving your holy communion, we pray, Lord, that we would just rest in you and your very presence in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>